Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is that women have a better sense of smell than men, which means basically that if you're a guy and you think you don't have body odor, you may be wrong. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. I'm really excited about today's podcast guest. Jessica Richmond is with Ubiome, a new company that's doing something that I think could change the way we look at human health and how we interact with our environment and how our environment interacts with us. She's studying network science at Oxford University, where she's working on her PhD, and she's focusing on bioinformatics, but her background is Stanford economics and computer science. So Jessica's a total biohacker looking at the genome in the gut, like what's growing in your stomach and how does it affect you? And what is the genetic background of what's in your in your gut. Jessica, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. You're most welcome. 
One of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show now is that you are in the middle of an Indiegogo campaign. For listeners who don't know what Indiegogo is, it's a new fundraising site where companies with new and innovative ideas can post what they're doing, and they can allow people in the community to spend very small amounts of money in order to basically pre-purchase a service and by doing so fund the company. Ubiome is about two-thirds, maybe 60% of the way to their goal of raising enough money to launch the service. I'm certainly signed up, and I'm very excited to get a picture of what's going on inside my own gut. So as you listen to the story, keep in mind, for very small amounts of money, you can sign up to get your own information done by going to Ubiome's website, which we'll announce in the show notes and at the end of the show. In fact, Jessica, tell us your URL now. What the heck? Sure. Uh, the URL is Indiegogo.com slash Ubiome. That's U-B-I-O-M-E. Uh, Indiegogo is a crowdfunding site that does a lot of interesting health-related projects, and we're one of them. I'm really happy to be on there. All right. Tell us more about your project. What is going on with Ubiome? Yeah, let me let me tell you a little bit more about it. So um, a lot of uh, – well, let me just back up and say that we're all sort of taught in grade school that – we need to be wary of germs and that germs are bad for us. And there, there are these dangerous germs that we come in contact with them. They're going to make us sick and they're going, and we need to take antibiotics so that we kill them. And that is true to one level of approximation. Yes, there are dangerous pathogens and yes, uh, antibiotics will kill them. And that was one of the great medical breakthroughs of the last century. But what we're discovering right now is that we're all covered, all of us and all of our surroundings are covered in a layer of beneficial germs that surrounds us at all times and that these germs might hold the key to understanding <clears throat> understanding our health in general and understanding conditions that have been very difficult to understand on the sort of one germ, one disease model. And these germs that are surrounding us are called the microbiome. So what we're doing is we're bringing the technology to sequence the microbiome uh, to get the genetic sequences of what, which exactly which germs are located in your body. And um, we're bringing that directly to the public. So our Indiegogo campaign allows you to buy a kit, a sampling kit, and basically a Q-tip and uh, some lysing solution. And you swab the affected area, you stick it in the solution, and you send it back to us. And we sequence the microbiome and we'll tell you what, what germs are in your gut. That's what you're sequencing or in any, either of the other four sites. And then you can learn more about your health and how you relate to scientific studies that have been done about the microbiome. Now, you sound like someone who's definitely trained at Stanford and Oxford, but you said you have to swab the affected area. Are you telling me I have to stick a Q-tip in my butt? Um, you don't have to. That's a very good question. So no, you don't have to stick a Q-tip in your butt. We <laughs> gave a lot of thought to how to structure this. And basically what you do is you wipe your butt like we hope you all do. <laughs> and then you swab the, the toilet paper and get enough of it on there and then just stick it in the tube. So, so that, to make seems... this as non-gross as possible, but yes, okay. you to test your gut poop is involved. It's a non-invasive test and you don't have to poop in a jar, both of which are kind of unpleasant, right? This is actually a really good point. So one of the things that we talked about when we were developing the product is what it's like to do a stool sample test for, you know, colon cancer or for any bowel condition. Like they, we heard some really ridiculous and disgusting horror stories where people having to put like saran wrap over the toilet or people having to, like you said, poop in a jar. Like that's a bit gross. And it, um, in, in the terms of people in the, in the medical in, in medicine, they, they call it a lack of patient compliance <laughs> because nobody wants to do this basically. But with our test, you just, 
do what you're going to do anyways. And you just put a little bit on a Q-tip and send it to us. That is cool. All right. So that's not a particularly gross test compared to some of the tests that I've done uh, for my own biohacking purposes. <laughs> Wait, do we need to get into those, Dave? Or are we going <laughs> to? Uh, probably not. This is a PG rated sort of thing. <laughs> but most definitely, uh, this this is not particularly bad. There's no saran wrap and anything like that. And what am I going to learn when I do this relatively benign procedure to gather a sample? I'm going to put the Q-tip in a little lysing solution. I'm going to send it to you guys. And what do I get back? Well, so we're going to send back a login to our website. And you'll be able to log in and see three three broad categories of things. The first thing is what's in there. So sort of a natural history of your gut. What What microbes are there? in what proportions and what each of these microbes, just a little bit about them, a picture of them, just sort of like familiarize you with that. That's interesting from a sort of intellectual standpoint, but the more interesting actionable sort of stuff that we'll be giving you is that we'll compare, you're also going to take a health survey and we're going to compare what's on the survey to what's in your gut and what's on everyone else's survey and what's in everyone else's gut. So we'll have correlations between you, between your sample and the samples of everyone else who sends in their data. So the more people that send in data, the bet send in their samples, the better data we have and the more we know and the more we can tell everyone. So there's sort of a very beneficial network effect to having lots of people contribute. The more you contribute and get other people to, the more valuable your data is. And the third thing is we're going to connect your sample with uh, summaries of scientific studies that relate to you. So if you have a particular balance of microbes in your microbiome, we're going to say, oh, this study had a very similar balance and we'll show you the results of that. So you can sort of look more deeply into the study and learn more about your, more, more about how it applies to your particular situation. So, I mean, I have other tests of what's happening in my, uh, my intestines and all. I have basically uh, you know, a, a look at a, a physical sample, a much larger physical sample where they go through and they categorize what's growing there. How is a genetic profile different than what you could get if you went to the doctor looking for parasites or something? I think the biggest difference is that in a parasitology test, they're looking for specific things. And we're just grabbing everything that's there that can be sequenced using the 16S RNA region. So we we will find anything that that re, that uses that particular strand to reproduce. So we won't find things that are that don't use it. So if you do a parasitology study and you look for worms or you look for, you know, eukaryotes or something like that, we won't find those things. But we will find all well sort of it, it's sort of just a very different approach. It's not I'm going in to look for X and see if I find it. It's more what's there and we'll have a fun, we'll have a full catalog of what's there. And I think the benefit of that from a you know consumer perspective, the benefit of that from the perspective of well what does this get me is that what we can tell you about are things that that relate to the ratio of different different organisms in your gut. So, for example, most of most of the types of things that we're concerned with in terms of diabetes, in terms of diet, in terms of bowel disorders, is is about the the relationship of many different types of organisms in your gut. It's not just you have you have this one thing and then it's bad for you and if you get rid of it, you're fine. It's a complex interaction. We can tell you everything that's there so we can start to look at what that complex interaction is. Okay, so we're going to get complex interactions. Now, I'll do a health survey. We'll see what's going on in the entire set of things in my gut. 
And then... Well, everything that can be sequenced this way. I mean, I don't want to over... That's a fair point. You're not going to be looking at chemicals and some of the other things. I could have a giant tapeworm. Exactly. You could have a giant tapeworm. We won't find that. Um, But we will find... But the microbiome, the bacterial sequencing has been shown to relate to all sorts of different things. The technique that we're using is a technique that was used by the Human Microbiome Project. It was, it's used in most of the studies. So it's, it's, we're finding probably the most important part of, of what you need to sequence. Okay. That makes really good sense to me. Now, normally you go to a doctor for this sort of stuff. You're selling direct to consumers. How is the average man even one interested in physical performance and all, going to be able to use this data to do something actionable to improve their health or performance or wellness or to fart less or whatever else it's going to do for them? Well, we want to, we want to address that in a couple of stages. The first thing is that the average person will see summaries of scientific research that they can apply in some intelligent way. Um, the second thing is that you can discuss these results. I guess there are three things. Then. So the second thing is you can discuss these results with your doctor or with other professionals that you work with, nutritionists, dietitians, whoever that is. Um, But the third thing that we hope to do, and I hope that this will be the most powerful thing, is that we want to put people together as citizen scientists to ask and answer questions. A lot of the things that people are concerned with are not the kind of things that doctors are concerned with. They're not the kind of things that massive studies done by institutional big science are concerned with. People are concerned with, you know, does this diet, how does this diet affect me? You know, I'm on the South Beach diet or I'm on a pay or I've changed my paleo diet and they want to know how does this affect them or they want to know about something like their own coffee consumption or about, you know, a trip that they and how they've recovered from an antibiotic they took recently. And those things are not things that uh, that sort of mainstream medicine looks at directly. So you can get together with other people who have the same questions and use your data to answer those questions together. And that, I think, is the most one of the more exciting parts about this. Okay. That is really neat. And this is what I believe can transform medicine. In fact, I gave a quote at a a big data conference where I said that I thought the quantified self and big data was going to kick science's ass. Yeah, I agree. And we're really excited about that. We hope that happens, not because there's anything wrong with science or because, you know, uh, science, institutional science is not valuable, but because I just feel like there's so much extra human energy and creativity that hasn't been harnessed to the purpose of expanding human knowledge in this way before. And I'm really excited to be a part of it expanding in this way. I I mean, right now, if you think about it, just on a very philosophical level, you've got, what, 100,000 people, maybe a million people across the world thinking about deep questions about, you know, gathering scientific knowledge. What if you had, you know, another 100 million, another billion people that could look at their own data and ask their own questions and answer them and, you know, move the boundaries of human knowledge forward. That would be great for all of us. It, it certainly would be. And that's one of the reasons that I think this home enabled biohacking movement is so interesting because without spending, you know, $500 and filing an insurance claim, you can basically go out and get all this data about yourself and start learning what's going on. But along the way, by just sharing that knowledge, you end up contributing to the sum of our knowledge about the human body. And that's why I'm supporting Ubiome uh, and, you know, as uh, helping to promote you guys, helping to get the message out. Because honestly, I want 100,000 other biohackers sharing their information with me <laughs> so True. I can do better. I mean, that's my, sort of my excitement. I mean, I'm excited about this for a number of reasons. But one reason is I feel like there's, like you said, there's, there's, there's a big 
network effect in terms of people. If you get another 100,000 biohackers on this, your data suddenly becomes way more valuable. And that's great, right? Like your data alone is interesting, but your data with 100,000 other people can really do some amazing things. I mean, right now, uh, forgive me if this is a bit of a digression, but citizen science has had, you know, people have been involved in doing a little bit of data analysis, a little bit of contributing data. Um, the, some of the big triumphs have been things like fold it, where you can fold proteins and a novel protein was discovered that had taken researchers 15 years to find. But what if you weren't just like clicking to fold proteins, but you were actually contributing your ideas and your your research design and your questions and your data to something? And I'm sure we could solve a lot of mysteries a lot faster. I, that is definitely the direction that you know, the the world's headed I believe, and it's all powered by cloud computing and this big network that connects everything. And it's it's awesome to be able to apply this to knowledge that's, I think, been unexplored. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And not to silly, I mean, right, it always starts with these silly things like, oh, it's, you know, Farmville or something. But this is like the same idea, but applied to something that's really important for so, the process of human evolution. Are, are you, you going <laughs> to gamify what you're doing? Are we going to see like Colonville and people are building? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Colonville. <laughs> <laughs> Poop. Poopville. <laughs> I don't know. It could be catching on. You mix it with Angry Birds. I'm not saying what you'd be flinging to knock things over, but... I, I could see my five-year-old yeah, really getting into that. Birds would be, I, don't, I, I hesitate to even think how that would be integrated in with you. <laughs> we haven't been called by Zynga yet. We've been called by a lot of people, but not Zynga. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, okay, let's, let's talk a little more in detail. Are you guys doing the fungal biome as well as the bacterial biome? Does your stuff pick that up? Doing, we're just doing 16S, so we don't catch fungi i don't I, there may be some actually i i'm not the microbiologist so i'm not 100 percent sure but yeah. i know that 16s is primarily bacterial it's primarily and bacterial so yeah it's the reason we chose that i mean we could have done more regions is that most of the studies are done on the bacterial microbiome using the 16s region so we can't add as much value um sequencing more than more than that okay. and of course it's more expensive so it's like gives you only a little bit more value and a lot more expense. But one of the things we're hoping to do is we'll bank people's samples. So we'll have your sample. And then, you know, as the cost of sequencing comes down, as there's more more data and more research, we can then go back and resequence for things that are that we're not doing this first pass. That is very cool and kind of 23andMe-esque. I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, that's it's kind of the idea. Like, this is something like 23andMe, but we hope it's 23andMe over a longer period of time in a more actionable way. So I'm I'm looking at one of my one of my poop reports because yes, as a biohacker, I have such things. <laughs> you know, we all do. <laughs> yeah, and and this was there was no Q-tip involved here, um, so it wasn't very pleasant, but. I mean, I'm looking, I, I know my clostridia levels are low and my fustobacteria levels are high, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But you're right. This doesn't tell me exactly what species are there. But do we really know how each genetically diverse species acts in the gut? Or is this a question. So unknown? we're also at the genus level. Like we okay. will get some species data, but not a very detailed species data. Um, we won't... Uh, and we also, that's also sort of not necessary. Like bacteria change genes a lot with each other. Yeah. So the species level is less valuable than it would be for like humans or like, you know, other organisms that don't exchange genes as much at the species level. But we can tell you 
we can tell you sort of a broad spectrum of what's there and then how that correlates with other, um, with, like I said, other people in the study and scientific research. Okay. So it's really the comparison with other people that's going to give you the, the really big boost here. So it's the fact that you did the survey and you compared your results with everyone else. And now you get the crowdsourced knowledge. And are you going to be asking people like, you know, do you get indigestion after dinner? Do you sleep well? Sort of lifestyle quality issues that you're going to do correlations so, with? We're also going to ask for self-reported diagnosis. I mean, we can't diagnose and we don't have medical records, but we can ask, have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with irritable bowel? Have you been diagnosed with, you know, a bunch of cancer, like a whole bunch of other things. And then we can also um, compare what you have. And then we can also sort of ask lifestyle questions and we can also let you, let the public ask questions about things that might not occur to us, but could be really valuable. So it's, it's entirely conceivable that in two years you could publish a report that said, we found out that amongst smokers who get cancer, 100% of them have this unusual ratio of streptomyces to mycoplasma or something. And that no one ever knew this before. And that apparently if you smoke, but you don't have this ratio, no one's ever reported cancer. Like these are the sort of things that you really could do. They're not that far away. No, they're not. And I know it sounds like science fiction, but there are, I mean, if you read, if you read the studies, like they're kind of trying, researchers are trying, are kind of edging around conclusions like that. Like they found certain patterns that are very clear, not with, not, not that far afield, but with diabetes, with irritable bowel. And it isn't that far of a stretch to say maybe, maybe smoking and cancer, there's some kind of gut connection. And they found, here's an interesting one, they found in mice, so they have mouse models for depression. They have whether mice will will struggle to, it's kind of cruel, they put mice in like a, in like water and see how much, how much they'll struggle to stay alive. <laughs> it sounds yeah. horrible. But they use this mouse model of depression to correlate with gut microbiome and see if there are correlates with depression and there there are. So you're right. It's not that far off to be able to take this big data set and be able to find really things that might seem unconnected but are actually connected to the gut microbiome. One of the things that has come up in my research, something I'm about to write about, is that some common probiotics that are you can buy on the shelf at almost any health food store actually have an effect in the gut when you mix them with the wrong protein and the wrong pH and that they actually cause cancer-promoting compounds to be formed. And, and this is the sort of thing that you know, one branch of biochemistry or science may understand it. But on the other hand, another branch says, oh, well, these do good things. And it's these results where even for something like coffee, you know, some studies it's bad, some studies it's good. And you have to sort of dig and dig and say, well, under what circumstances is it bad or good? Because it clearly can't be bad and good at the same time. And this many scientists can't all be wrong. Right. <laughs> so like there must be a confounding factor. And I think you guys might actually find the confounding factors that we never knew about. We'd like to. I mean, yeah, that's definitely, definitely a big part of the goal, especially about things like that, that are of interest to the general public and aren't as researched as much as like diseases with a capital D. So we want to be able to find both um, things that are sort of that medical science is focused on and things like that, like things where like coffee increases your risk factor this much in this circumstance. But we maybe we'll be able to tell you under what circumstance, because we'll just be able to add a little bit more or a lot more data to the mix. So isn't the FDA going to like completely pummel you guys because someone's going to be, oh, look, I have H. pylori. And they're going to go to their doctor and say, look, I was diagnosed. And the doctor's like, it's my job to diagnose. And I have a protectionist racket 
protecting me. Like, well, I mean, okay. what's going to happen? Do you guys this is like run? A debate is all the time, right? Like, like, do you need experts to interpret your own data yeah. or not? And the answer, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just my personal opinion, not necessarily Biome's official stance or anything like that. My personal opinion is that, of course, experts are valuable. Like, experts do add a lot to the mix, but individuals are valuable, and their contributions haven't been valued so I, I as much in the current paradigm. So while we don't, you know, while people cannot self-diagnose, while doctors play a role in all of this, I, I think that the individual contribution will add a lot and the model of medicine will change. As far as the FDA goes, like we are making very clear, we are not doctors. This is not a diagnostic test. This is for informational purposes only. 23andMe has walked this line of being careful about diagnosing, not, not make it diagnost, diagnostic claims. And, and we're going to walk the same line. We don't, we don't want to claim that because you correlate, because you have a certain microbiome that correlates with people that have a certain diagnosis, that that is a diagnosis. That's the role of a doctor in our current medical paradigm. It, it sort of seems like maybe you should open up in the Cayman Islands, like an online casino or maybe the Pirate <laughs> Bay. You know, that is, we've gotten some really funny suggestions. Um, that is a very funny, that is among the funny suggestions. <laughs> we got, um, people want us to have like a microbiome dating profile. Like, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's, we that's don't, kind of gross. You're like, I'm sorry, I, I can't date you. Cause in this like fly by night arena. <laughs> We're at UCSF, which is one of the top medical centers yeah. in the world using the same equipment that was used for Nobel Prize winning research that happens in the same building. Like, we're, we're very much sort of in mainstream science in that way. You guys are legit, but you're consumer focused and you're data driven. And if that happens to be data that someone brings into their doctor's office, it's really not different than, say, the Zio sleep monitoring data. Exactly. Right. And I, I mean, I think, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but if I were, I would want my patients to be informed and my patients to bring something more than it hurts and I don't know what to do about it. I, I mean, I think that would really add to add to the add to the resources doctor has to bring to bear on diagnosis and on treatment. My experience with doctors has been if you come in respectfully and you come in with data and well informed, they love it because I mean, they're people too, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, like they don't feel threatened in the slightest. You know, if you come in saying you know that that they're an idiot and you know, right. they don't know what they're talking about, which is clearly not true. You don't get right. to be a doctor because you're an idiot. It doesn't happen. And plus, I'm married to one and she's pretty smart. So, yeah. you know, they're, my sample size of one tells me doctors must be smart. Clearly. I mean, that's very scientifically validated. <laughs> <laughs> but more than that, like, I think most doctors would be super stoked if someone came in and said, you know, I ran my own test and yeah. here's what it says. Right. Some doctors will probably say, well, I don't know this testing lab. It's not the one I use and I don't have the time or energy or desire to learn this reporting format. At which point, I think that my my response, unfortunately, would would be to find a different doctor who was willing to work with me on my data. Yeah. Uh, but maybe that'll offend some people. But on the other hand, most of the really good doctors are going to say, "Sweet, we've got data. Now we can look. You know, this one stands out. Let's talk about what what a treatment approach might be there because you have the symptoms that let me diagnose this, and this is just a corollary data point rather than the data point you would use to to say that it is something or isn't something." That makes a lot of sense. And I, I also think that sort of the doctor of the future will be very different in that the doctor of the future will have 
a comfort and a familiarity with these types of data and probably have done the test themselves because, you know, if you're a gastroenterologist, why wouldn't you want to like run a new kind of test on yourself? Or, or you know, if you deal with this kind of health, you, you deal with this kind of data, you'd probably want to know about it. And I think it'll, it, the practice of medicine will change that over time to make this more of a commonplace and an encouraged thing. Yeah, I think so too. It's definitely going to, to change the game. Is there anything else that we should talk about today? In yeah, order let, to... let me throw one thing, yeah. one other thing in here that I'm really excited about. So one of the great things about being on Indiegogo as a crowdfunding platform is that it's international. So we can do this test in, well, we can sell this test in 196 different countries. <laughs> so wherever PayPal is accepted. So if you have listeners all over the world, they can they can still sign up. We charge a little bit extra for international shipping. But one of the things that we're excited about is getting samples from other parts of the world that aren't commonly sequenced. Most of the big projects are in you know, the developed world, in America and in Europe, and it would be great to have samples from other parts of the world and to be able to get to be able to compare international samples, like just to get more data than has been gotten before and from more places. So the international aspect is something we're really excited about. So now I, I've run, uh, or at least helped to run a medical lab testing company that marketed direct to consumers. And we used to have to ship blood to Germany and Belgium and Canada from the US. And it's kind of funny, but sending bodily fluids over international borders is actually harder than sending opiates or cannabis, apparently. <laughs> well, in our in our case, like we're just shipping a kit. We're just shipping Q-tips. Like we're not shipping any bodily fluids. Okay, so you um, don't have to you don't have to have the medical specimen bag with biohazard markers and you know I, like we're gas not masks and sending, all that. And we're not sending what is being sent is not a medical specimen. What's being sent back is a medical specimen, but not what's being sent out. Oh yeah. So we're not sending it across borders. Oh, that is way cool. So then you guys are going to be able to to make this really accessible. I, I think that you should run an Indiegogo campaign to do a little documentary where literally you like fly to twenty places in the world, including like the Eskimos and somewhere That's in Ethiopia. Yeah. Awesome Let's do that. <laughs> like, like I think that would be so cool. And you're like I, I, I just want to see you knocking on someone's door and saying, excuse me, you know, I I've come for your poop. Right, but, exactly. We are we are from Ubiam, and we have come for your poop. <laughs> but you you really you really would probably see some amazing differences, especially if you went to you know the Maori and, and you look at you know, the people yes. who eat you know basically blood and butter, my kind of people, um, all the way to people who well actually there are no vegans anywhere on the planet uh, in their natural setting, so I guess that wouldn't work. But you could you could at least find some vegetarians and like, just look at all these various differences at high altitude, low altitude. I think that would be just amazing. And it would be visually striking. So I agree. If you know anyone wants to do, I mean, we'd love to do it, but we have a lot going on too. If you know of anyone who wants to document, do a documentary like that, have them get in touch with us. We would love to talk to them. Yeah, a lot of people hear this show and uh, there are some documentary film people who've, um, who've been capturing me lately. A few have come to my house uh, a few at, at various shows. So if any of those people are listening or any other people with cameras and good ideas in time, uh, this is a cool idea. They should reach out. I'll hook you up with, uh, with you by them, or you can just reach out directly on their website. That sounds fantastic. Great. Yeah. I, I'm, it would be really fun. <laughs> I'd like to do some, a little bit of flying around myself. Awesome. Well, Jessica, thanks for being on the show today. It's really exciting to learn more about how I'm going to learn more about my poop. Very meta today. Awesome. That sounds great. Thanks for the thanks for the um, for having me on. And let me just give the URL Please as do. a final thing. So it's Indiegogo slash Ubiome. It's like Ubiome. U B I O M E. 
You know, I forgot something. And this is something that I ask everyone who's been on my show, I think ever. Okay. What are the top three things that people should consider to be higher performance or just to to be more? And this doesn't have to be just from what you do with Ubiome, but like in your entire life learning, what are the three most important things people should be paying attention to? Wow, that's such a good question. Like life hack kind of stuff? Like what has made your life better? Whatever you think is most important. You could say have an egg every day or you could say, you know, pray. I have no idea, but I get all kinds of interesting answers here. And since really the Bulletproof Executive is all about, you know, how do you be more and do more and function better? What do you know? Like, what have you learned? Oh, wow. Okay. So this is totally off the top of my head. So I don't know how silly this will sound, but I would say top three things that have made my life better. I would say number one, love and empathy. I think connection with other people and like hugging people a lot and trying to think, see things from their perspective as corny as it sounds is like the thing that's made my life the best to the high, to the, um, has the most leverage to make your life better. So I would say that is the number one thing is love and empathy. Number two, I really like, I think sort of also on a psychological level, like sort of throwing off the constraints of what you think you're supposed to do or have or be and be willing to look at things from a totally different perspective has been really good for me. And I should probably get something like practical and regular. I don't know. Noise canceling headphones are really great. <laughs> <laughs> they really changed. That's the thing that most recently has changed my life the most. You can be anywhere and still focus on stuff. You are the only person ever to mention noise canceling headphones, but you're onto something there. If you look at neurological stressors, uh, background noise is a major one. Yeah. Oh, a double. I'm so, I'm so, I don't know if this is just particular to me. I'm a little ADD, but just like being in environments where too much is going on just makes it impossible for me to focus and noise canceling headphones have changed my life. So thank you, Bose, for your <laughs> contribution to the world. <laughs> That's an awesome answer. Thanks again for being on the show and we'll talk with you again soon, I hope. Great. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.